0: So, um, I'm going to share with you, this is the meaning of Christmas, part two. Okay, we started uh, last week with part one. Um, Was Jesus born on December 25th? How do you all know that? So, you're so adamant about that. We really know, we, we know Jesus wasn't born in December because the sheep were in the field. And if you ever were in Israel in December, the sheep are not in the field. I spent a week in Israel in December. It rained, it snowed, and it was, the, the skies were filled with ice cold sleet for eight days. I was soaking wet the entire time I was there. It's rainy season, it's snow season, and there's no way that the sheep would have been in the field. They're in caves during that time. So, um, in fact, I celebrated Hanukkah standing at the wailing wall with two other goyim like me, okay? No Jews. And the rabbis, these are the the leading rabbis of Israel, were lighting the huge menorah at the Wailing Wall. It's like eight o'clock at night. And there wasn't one Jew there, but just three Gentiles. (laughs) And we were standing there in the pouring rain, Praising the Lord. It was freezing, freezing cold rain, and that's a night that I'll never forget. And if, if some of you have been around here a long time, it was um, Richie D'Angelo, Pastor Rich, and Pastor Steve Leopard, and I standing there. Jesus, this is a long time ago. This is uh, thirty-five years ago, and uh, had that. But it, 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 he was not born. But by the way, I will give you a date that I believe Scripture gives to us that shows us. I believe very closely, the date that Jesus was born. And um, you're not getting that today. You're getting it on Wednesday night, so <laughs> sorry. Because I have another message for you tonight, uh, today. And that is, again, we started last week with an acronym of Christmas. Right? Every letter, uh, again, standing for something significant. So, uh, as I said to you last week, the C stands for Christ. He is the Christ. He is the promised Messiah. He is the, the one the Jewish people were waiting for. He is the one who fulfilled over 365 prophecies, multiple typologies. Uh, he is, right, the Christ. The second word that we looked at, H, the letter H, humility. It is that word that describes the descending love of God, that he left his throne for a manger. He left his palace in heaven For a stable. He left the heavenly host, the the heavenly angels for shepherds. He who is rich became poor, so that we who are poor could become rich. Right? He who is life came to earth to experience death. He left his throne for a manger. And that is the the descending humility of God. That's how much he loves us that he would descend so low. And then we looked at the R word, and that is revelation. He came to reveal himself to us. Jesus said, for he who has seen me has seen the Father. And he came to reveal the love, the compassion, the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, the long-suffering of God to us. So the uh, the fourth letter that I'm going to share with you today is the letter I, and that is incarnation. An incarnation, uh, essentially what it means is in flesh, okay? It means the embodiment of flesh. So um, to help you to, when I was... In seminary, one of my teachers said, for every theological concept, you have to be able to take an earthly illustration so that people can understand it, which is what Jesus did the parable of the sower, right? The parable of the fishnet. I mean, he, he took the heavenly things and he made them simple. So I'm going to try to make incarnations simple for you. How many of you like chili? I know a lot of Latino people here, right? And I'm, I'm an Italian and I like, I like chili, right? But uh, this is a can of vegetarian chili which means there's no meat in it, right? There's no carna. You got beans, you got tomatoes, okay? You got chili peppers, onions, and paprika, but you don't have any meat. There's no carna in vegetarian chili. What? Carne. Okay, in Italian we call it carna. Carne. Okay, carne, carna. All right. This is chili con carne. That is chili with meat. There's flesh in it. Okay? The difference. Okay, now, you go to the Gospel of John, the first chapter. This is the, the psalm of life. If you're not a Christian, if you're, if you're not a believer, this, this has been called, the first chapter of John, it's called one of the most beautiful pieces of literature that have ever been written. And we believe it's the Word of God. So it tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. What is the word that is used there for word in the Greek? Logos. Yeah, that's an important word. In the beginning was the Logos. The Logos comes, we, we get it from uh, the Greek philosophers. Okay? It was very, very popular. Plato, Aristotle, Socrates talked about the Logos. And, and the Logos, they would describe it not as we would, as, as a person, but as a force, as the creative force of God. So Plato described it, the Logos, as the force of God that created all things. So we, we know, right, as a, we have a lot and a greater advantage than people uh, who lived a long time ago with our, our knowledge and our awareness and, again, the revelation we received in the Word of God. But if you were living at that time, you know, you look out and you see this vast universe and you come to the conclusion that there's this vast effect, there has to be a cause. I mean, it's just logic. You have this vast, massive, right, they, they, and today, again, with, with what uh, they tell us, the scientists tell us, our solar system with the nine planets, that there are about 200 billion of those in the Milky Way galaxy. And in the Milky Way galaxy, right, with all of those solar systems, in the universe there are about 200 billion galaxies. So you have this vast, right, this vast universe, this vast, again, effect that has to be a cause. And not only is there some type of force, this this powerful life force that could create all this, it's created with systems. It's created with principles. It's created with laws. And again, going back and go back to Plato. Some of you may have taken a philosophy course when you were in college. And he, he talks about, again, how there are forces. And again, he's limited in understanding all the force. Right now, today, we can talk about the, right, the strong force, the weak force, right? We can, we can get into all these other things. They didn't understand all of that. But there are these forces, So not only is this life force incredibly powerful, but it has intelligence. And I might even bring this again down to where we understand God as a person, the Logos. We come come to the scriptures, and again, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and He created all things. We immediately go to Genesis 1.1, right? in the beginning, Elohim, God, created the heavens and the earth. So what this is saying is God, the Spirit, right, who created all, this this Logos, and as you read on in the Gospel of John, and you come to verse 14, and the Word became flesh. Concarne. Okay, concarna. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God, okay, the Logos, experienced humanity. He experienced humanity. Now, you go through the Gospels, you go through the New Testament, you see Jesus is called not only the Son of God, but the Son of Man. He is, he is God in human form. Fully God, fully man. Now, when you come to the birth of Jesus, right, why? And that's the, that becomes the big question. Why, why the Incarnation? And I think most of you here study under, you know, you study under my teaching, you study under some of the other pastors, you would immediately come and you would say, well, he became a man because he had to die for us, right? And and there's a, a great truth to that. There is a shadow of the cross over the babe of Bethlehem. We have all been born to live. Jesus was born to die. As an atoning substitutionary sacrifice for us and for our sins. He would take our death upon himself. Not not our physical death. He would take our spiritual death upon himself. See, to die physically is to be separated, right? The soul is separated from the body. To die spiritually is to be in soul separated from God forever. Total separation. What did Jesus experience on the cross when he hung there when he hung there? He said "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani," my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's experiencing eternal separation from the Father in and on the cross during those hours. He experienced our hell upon himself. But that little babe of Bethlehem, he was incarnate to die for us. So when you look at the cross, there is a future Right there is a, a, a future from uh, the manger to the cross. There is a, a future from Bethlehem to Golgotha. There is this 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 destiny, okay, from his birth to his death. And you can't separate. You know, you, you know the the wonderful little story. I mean, a lot of people they like baby Jesus, they don't like the grown up Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, they, they love they the baby Jesus. You can't separate the baby Jesus from the grown-up Jesus. You can't separate the baby Jesus right in the manger from the grown-up Jesus who hung on the cross. His, his entire life had the shadow of the cross over him for 33 years. Until he went to the cross. The incarnation. Why? Because he came to die for our sins. So just to to, to help you to to wrap your your mind around that, man is flesh, man is human, okay? And man is a sinner. And uh, anybody who's walking on this earth who doesn't believe they're a sinner, of course, they're they're a lunatic. Because we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. So we've sinned and and we have this sense within us. As much as we may try to hide it, harden it, ourselves to it, we have the sense in us. That, that something has gone wrong. That there is something wrong with us that separates us from God. Now, man, because he's a sinner, cannot pay the price. Now, God, who is spirit, could not die for our sins. So the resolution to that, the solution to that, is that God becomes a man, a perfect man, a man without sin, the perfect sacrifice, and then he can die for our sins. And that is called substitutionary sacrificial atonement. Now, I want to give you another reason for the incarnation. Okay, The second reason for the incarnation, God became a human being because he loves us and because he wanted to relate with us or relate to us. He, he wanted to commune with us. He wanted to connect with us. By the way, if you if you if you studied philosophy or if you studied theology, Thomas Aquinas, who I believe was was probably the smartest man up until that time, uh, Thomas Aquinas argued the incarnation for uh, the purpose of the substitutionary atonement. There was another philosopher, as brilliant as Aquinas, I believe his name was Duns Scotus, and these these men they were not just theologians; they were they were philosophers, they were scientists, and Duns Scotus argued that had Jesus come to a world where there was no sin, he still would have come because he wanted to relate to us. God wanted to have a relationship with us. Even if we had not sinned, he wanted to reveal himself to us and he wanted to connect with us, he wanted to relate to us and he wanted us to commune with him. It's a beautiful thing, beautiful, beautiful idea. He wanted to have a relationship with us. So when John, in his first epistle, he says, we have seen him, we have touched him, we have held him, Right? We have heard Him. We, they, they, we, we have experienced Him. God came more than just to die for us on the cross. He came so that we could experience Him. So when I became a Christian, I was attending the Maranatha Church. That was my, I've only been in two churches in my entire life, though I've preached in many. And I was in the Maranatha Church in New Milford, and then in, in, in Paramus, helped to build a church. And um, we had a, a bishop. His name was Dallas Mucci. And um, Dallas had written a book, and somebody gave it to me. He said, he's coming to preach here in a couple of weeks. You need to read this book. So I read the book. It was a good book. He, he was a, a really kind of an amazing man. He was a sports writer for the Boston Globe, and then he became uh, a diplomat, a U.S. diplomat. And then he gave it all up to become a pastor in Pittsburgh. And then he became uh, an overseer of churches, a planter of churches. Planted over 100 churches throughout the New York metropolitan area and churches throughout Pakistan. And so, um, you know, it was, again, a wonderful book. But I met him then and um, got to know him. He became a friend. He became a mentor. He became a coach. Spent time with him. Came to love him, I believe, He came to love me, had a relationship with him. And there's a big difference between reading his book and coming to know him in person. Jesus came to reveal himself in person to us. It's all about relationship. And he came to experience humanity, he came to experience what it is to be human. So when, you, when you're going through the Gospels, I mean, see, right, he slept because he was tired on a boat that was in the middle of a storm. How tired do you have to be to be able to sleep on a boat in the middle of a storm? He got hungry. Matthew chapter 21, 18. You ever get hungry? How many of you men, you not only get hungry, you get hangry Ask my wife. Right around 5 15, 5 30, I start getting first hungry and then hangry. He sweat. Luke chapter 22, 43 through 44. He bled. John chapter 19, verse 34. He laughed. He experienced joy, John chapter fifty one verse eleven. I want to. I'm going to put on a, a video. So if we could make sure the sound is on, I want to show you a video. Our good friend Terry Clark, who was here at the church, uh, has been at, here at the church a number of times. This is Terry's song, and he uses a video. I just want you to see here again. I was watching. I was watching. Um, there was some Jesus movies on yesterday. So, you had Max Van Seydel and Jeffrey Hunter, and they're good portraits of Jesus, but you never see him laugh in those movies. You never see him smile. You know, it's just, it's, it's kind of the religious Jesus, right? And the religious Jesus is stern faced, and hey, I go and preach in churches where that's what you got. You got a bunch of people who never laughed, they never, they never smiled, and just kind of, it was never any joy. And to me, again, Look, I understand he wept. I understand his sorrow. But I also understand there were times throughout the scriptures where it talks about him having this incredible joy. I just want you to see this portrait of, uh, of Jesus. so beautiful.
1: There's Terry. Jesus walked along the road one day. A blind man cried out, say, oh Lord, hear me, please come and heal me, he touched his lips, he touched the ground, he touched his eyes, and when he looked around, a man could see, oh the man. Crying out, that's Jesus, the one we heard about. Please make us clean, you can make me clean. He looked at them and drew them close, he said, Be clean. And when he spoke, they had new skin, they were whole again. his hand he walked the streets and around the lake of Galilee I saw him there yes he was really there when he spoke I knew heaven's light was shining through his eyes at me. Oh, he looked at me.
0: Just such a great portrait again of of a Jesus who smiled, who laughed. Have you ever experienced Jesus smiling with you and rejoicing with you? That's what he he came. He came to experience that. John 11.35, he cried tears. There are three instances where Jesus cried in the scriptures and one of the shortest verses, John 11.35, he wept over the tomb of Lazarus. He became angry. John 3, verse 5. You also see him going into the temple becoming angry. He was, he was enraged at hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of what they had done to his father's temple, turning it into a right, it was a house of prayer, and they turned it into a bazaar, you know They turned it into a carnival. He experienced pain. He experienced separation from his father. He experienced desertion from his friends and denial. And he experienced temptation. The uh, Amplified Bible in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, knowing exactly how it feels to be human. So there's, there's, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. They're both good. But when somebody has gone through something that you haven't gone through, you can have sympathy for them. But when somebody has gone through something that you have gone through and you have experienced that pain, Then you enter in with empathy. And this is what he did. The door of empathy was opened. The things that we go through, the pain, the the discouragement, the joys, right? The sorrow, sickness, right? Uh, You know, just just all these different things. He wasn't sick. Let me qualify that. But he did experience pain. And um, again, he, he experienced what we have experienced. And that is a, just a, a wonderful right, way that he can relate to us. So the, inc- the incarnation, yes, he came to die for us in atoning sacrifice, he also came, though, to relate to us and to experience what it is to be human. And that is, that, that is key to, to understand, again, in the, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now, that leads us to the S, and the S is sacrifice. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, it tells us, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is our Savior. Matthew one twenty one, And she will have a son, and you are to name his name, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He came to save us from our sins by what? By dying for us. For dying in our place. So you, you, you go to the, the manger. You go back to the stable he is placed in swaddling clothes. And essentially, it's, it's a feeding bowl. It's a feeding trowel. It's where the, the sheep... And it, we, we, we in, our, in our manger scenes and in our diagrams, we make it out of wood. It wasn't made out of wood. It was made out of stone. In fact, you go to Israel, it's likely the cave. You can actually... I, I believe it's one of the more authentic sites in Israel. And um, again, it's, it was hewn out of stone. And... You can go there, and you can, you know, you can, you know, see it. You can, you can pray over it. It's, it's because of the orth, the Orthodox churches, the Catholic churches. It's covered with all types of. I mean, they put gold and silver and everything all over it, and they put glass in front of it. But I mean, you can look beyond that. You can see that um, it's like likely the place where Jesus uh, was laid. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to share something with you. I, I would venture that. Very few have ever heard this because I just discovered this. And then one of the great things, you know, I preach a few messages on Christmas every year, and I've been doing this for 40 years. And I'm digging into the scriptures, and I'm I'm digging into archaeology. I'm digging into some historical books, and I discover something. And I'll tell you, this was a gem. So when the shepherds are out in the field, and the angels come to them, the angel says, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Right? Now they, they understood who is the Messiah. This is the, the promised Messiah, the Savior and the Lord, God. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now these, these shepherds, okay, they took care of the sacrificial sheep, the sacrificial lambs. And they would be caring for them, nurturing them, feeding them. And then come Passover time, right, they would all be be basically brought into Jerusalem. They would be sold and they would be sacrificed. Now, during the time of Passover, the little lambs, right, they wanted a lamb. When these little lambs were being born during this period, right, they would select the lambs. This is the shepherds now. And the lamb had to be without blemish, right, could have no defect, right, just as it says in Exodus chapter 12. And they would take the little lamb and they would wrap it in swaddling clothes and they would place it in the manger. Until then, they would take it to the temple, present it to the priest. The priest would examine it again to see if it was out without defect and then it would be offered up as the Passover lamb. The clothes that they would wrap it in, the swaddling clothes, in Hebrew, it's migdal edder. Migdal edder. It was called temple clothes. And this would be done, there are caves all around Bethlehem where the sheep would be kept during the rainy season. But there were specific caves where the sheep that were going to be placed in the manger, the migdal eder clothes. Where they would be placed. So now, here, you us see this. The angel says, you're going to find Messiah wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. They knew exactly where to go. And this has been always something puzzling to me. Because when I take people to Israel, there are caves all over the place. In fact, there are caves in caves. And Sue, you remember this. When I hid in the cave... And uh, the, poor, the poor guide is, is leading everybody through, and all of a sudden I jumped out. The guy almost jumped out of his shoes. I went around the other way, and, but there, there are caves there, but they knew exactly where the cave was, where the Lamb of God would be laying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. How many have you ever heard about them actually wrapping the lambs? Have you heard that before? Very few. I just, again, discovered this for the first time. So they go, they go, and they come to the cave, and they find him there. And again, wrapped, the Migdel Eder, that's what it is in Hebrew. they wrapped, again, in that particular place, the baby boy wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, the Lamb of God. That is a theme from Genesis to the book of the Revelation. The, the the theme like there there are multiple themes in the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation. The theme of the Lamb of God, right from the beginning to the very end. He is the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins. So to understand to understand the scriptures, the scriptures again this this theme of the Lamb of God. It's essentially a puzzle, and you must you must basically find. The pieces, and I say this to you: when you discover things like this, studying Scripture is not for the lazy. It's not. It's not for the complacent. It's not for the. that's why you see. I mean, they, they mock us. They mock us. The secular people on you know you can see this on MSNBC or CNN. They they send they send the reporter to a church, and they ask stupid questions to the people coming out of the church. Stupid, ridiculous questions that a little child should be able to answer who is in Sunday school and you, you get these people who cannot explain it and they mock us. And that's again, that, that, that scripture, the study of Scripture is not for the lazy. It's, it's for those who are willing to dig, right? So they, it, to discover this puzzle, you have to dig. So again, just to touch on this, and I'll touch on it briefly, and you can find messages that I've done mostly on Wednesday nights where I go in really in depth, I'm taking you through literally, sometimes chapter by chapter. But you go right there. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? They were naked. They felt shame. They put fig leaves on themselves. What did God do? Sacrificial lamb. They never saw an animal sacrifice before. and They never saw blood. It was horrible. And he covered them. They pass on this story that, again, God has to cover us. God has to make... A covering. There has to be a sacrifice to cover us. They share this with their sons, Cain and Abel. Cain comes and he offers up fruit. Abel comes, he offers up the lamb. Abel's offering is accepted. Cain's offering is rejected. You can't come to God on your own terms. You can't make up your own religion. You only come by the blood of the lamb. You get to Genesis chapter 22 and you see this this incredible story. One of the most... Difficult. One of, I think one of the most horrifying stories you will find in the Bible. God says, take your son Isaac, the promise, the son of promise, and go and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. And we freak out. I remember my wife, right? When, when, I started, when we first became, she's freaking out. How could God, is God a God who sacrifices human beings? Again, just to, Abraham was in on it. And Abraham said, "Uh, my son, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. God, notice, will provide what? Himself. He lifted up that knife and the angel of the Lord said, Abraham, Abraham, look, I've provided. I provided the lamb. God would provide. And by the way, about 2,000 years later, on Mount Moriah, God provided the perfect sacrificial lamb. You come to the Passover, right? Sacrifice the lamb, take the blood, put it on the, uh, the door, you know, the door frame, on the lintel of the door, and then death will pass over your home. Who is the lamb? 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Christ, our Passover lamb. You come to Leviticus, and we just, we went through this on Wednesday nights for, for months you come to Leviticus and the five offerings, a burnt offering, sin offering, meal offering, trespass offering, peace offering. We showed that, that Jesus fulfills all five of those offerings. But then you come to Isaiah chapter 52-53 and suddenly now you see the sacrificial lamb is revealed that one day in the future the lamb would be a man. And we see the lamb wrapped in swaddling clothes laying in a manger. When he began his ministry, what did John the Baptist say? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You come through the the, the entire scriptures, right? Revelation 13, 8. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This, this, this sacrifice, this incarnation and this sacrifice, they were in the heart of God before God ever created anything and before sin ever entered the world. This is the heart of God, a heart of love, a heart of sacrifice. That is God. And so he's raised from the dead. And Thomas Wright is the doubter. I won't believe it. I won't believe it till what? Yeah, until I can see it and I can put my finger into his side, right? Kind of gross, right? And when Jesus appears to him, what does he say? He says, here, I'm going to paraphrase. Go for it. (laughs) Go for it. Why does he still have the marks in his hand, his side, and his feet? Because you see that in Revelation. You see it in Revelation 5. Why does He still have the marks in His hands, in His feet, and His side? Because it is an eternal reminder, an eternal reminder of His love for us. And we will be reminded of that forever and ever. You know what? The, 92% of influence, of leadership, of motivation, of inspiration is emotional. We, we, are, we are inspired, motivated, by emotion, not by logic. Okay, about 8% is logic. 92% is emotion. And I'll say this to you. There has been nothing, nothing in my entire life that has driven me more than the sacrifice of Jesus for me. Nothing has inspired me more. Nothing has motivated me more. Nothing has compelled me more in my entire life than the incarnation and sacrifice of Jesus. Okay, last letter for today: T, treasure. So the shepherds of the field are told that they will find Messiah in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. What do they do? Uh, let's hang out for a little while. Let's discuss this. What did they do? They ran right down. Right there's urgency. They, 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 ran, they, they ran down to Bethlehem to experience and discover this treasure. The Magi are, are spoken to in their hearts. They see this star. They pursue it. 600 miles. They traveled to discover the treasure. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 to 46, there are two parables that Jesus gives us. He says, and the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, and when he has found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. By the way, the Lord isn't saying here that you can buy salvation. You, you, You can't. The, the point is, when you find salvation, when you find eternal life, when you find Jesus, you, you will find it as, it, it is worth everything, right? It, it, is, it is worth, everything becomes garbage, that becomes gold. It's the treasure of all treasures. Complete forgiveness. Eternal life. Everlasting peace. Relationship with God. It is, it is the, the, the treasure of all treasures. And you know what's wonderful about it? You know all your treasures? You can't take them with you. I want to tell you, I've done a lot of funerals. Geez, I married over 300 people. I might have you know, buried, I, I think I've I, I buried about you know 100 of them. None of them ever took it with them. You're, you can't take your money with you. You can't. You can't take your 401k with you. Your stocks, your bonds, your house, your car. Oh, one guy, one guy years ago, he had a car that he loved, and he got buried in it. But he's still not taking it with him. It's in the ground. It's rusting away. One guy was a piano player. He got buried in the piano, right? He didn't get to take the piano with him. You can't take anything. Your awards, your your your, your doc, you know, your your documents, your um, just all these different things. Your trophies, your medals. Your degrees, you can't take any of that with you, but the treasure of eternal life you take with you. It's the the treasure you you, you will take with you forever and ever. Did you ever hear of Blaise Pascal? You've heard of Blaise Pascal, right? Science teachers. I think Blaise Pascal is probably... I think he's one of the six smartest men who have ever lived. He was a scientist, a mathematician, a philosopher. Uh, age 16, he developed uh, the scientific formula to basically the, the density of, of matter. I mean, he's, I, have, I, have, I have some of his works. I couldn't, I couldn't quite understand that. that. But um, Blaise Pascal was this, this brilliant man, and, and he had come to know Jesus. And Blaise Pascal is, is the one, if you've heard of this before, the vacuum. He, he, and I'll quote here, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus. So his, his point is there is this, this vacuum in us, and we, we found this to be true, right? It, it, it's a vacuum, so you keep sticking stuff in it. So keep sticking your awards and your trophies, and you put money in it. Right, you you put your degrees in it, you know, I I, I discovered this early on, I'm glad I discovered it in my 20s, I would train for something, reach it, accomplish it, win, and then the next day I was empty. All of a sudden, I'm empty. I remember going in and, you know, the first title I won, I go in, I'm training with my training partner, Tommy Ron. I said, Tom, I've been depressed. He goes, you're depressed because now you need another goal. But then it's just another goal that you fill into the vacuum and you're never, ever satisfied. And we, the, the great delusion of life is you think you're going to find something in this world that somehow is going to fill the vacuum. It's a God vacuum, and only God can fill it. In fact, that's, that's the message. Read, read Song. Of, uh, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes by um, Solomon. Well, Solomon Solomon was worth about 200 trillion dollars. Uh, Elon Musk, you think, is worth about 167 billion dollars, and with Tesla dropping, he's probably down right 147. Okay, that was just on Friday. <laughs> Imagine losing $20 billion, right? But, but he was, Solomon would have been worth about $200 trillion. He had what? He had how many wives? 600 wives, 300 concubines. And he even says he didn't deny himself any sexual pleasure. He built palaces, right? Had horses. He did everything. I mean, he, he was constantly doing and attempting great things. And what did he, what did he say? Right, it's all like chasing after the wind. He, he couldn't find that thing that would fulfill him, and he comes to the end of the book, and then it, you know it centers on, on God. I think I think he finally came to that place before he died. I think I think we will see Solomon in heaven, though he really he really messed up big time. But that's just it's, it's a vacuum, and you keep you keep stuffing stuff into it. And I'll tell you this: I was doing business down in Florida with a guy, and he invited me to have dinner with two of his friends. And we're, we're sitting having dinner and one of the guys began to share that one of his kids was going through something difficult. So I said, let me, let me pray. So I prayed. And then the two men, the guests, looked at me and said, oh, you're a Christian. And I said, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor. I said, you know, I have my coaching business and you know, I pastor a church. And then they both said, we're Christians too. And they shared with me now, I think one of the men was making about $6 million a year. And the other was making a few million dollars. And you know what they said to me? They said, we had to get it to realize that it could never meet our needs. That we became, we became extremely wealthy and successful. And then came to the point and realized that they needed God in their lives. And they gave their heart to Jesus. But sometimes, you know, you think, oh, well, you know what? people come to Jesus because everything has gone wrong. Sometimes people come to Jesus because everything has gone right and they suddenly wake up and realize it could never satisfy them. So so Blaise Pascal, okay, comes to know Jesus. And on the night he came to know Jesus, he wrote it out, kept it in a pocket over his heart, and when he died, his daughter found it and it was made known to the world. I'm going to read it to you. This is his experience of finding the treasure. He says fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned, certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ. My God and your God. Your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the way taught in the gospel. Grander of the human soul, righteous father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. That was on Monday, November 23rd, 1654. The vacuum was filled, he found the treasure. The treasures of relationship with God. To be known by Him, to know Him, to experience His love, to be accepted to be forgiven, to be blessed, to be a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, and enter into all the privileges of the Lord, the treasure. So, C stands for Christ, H for humility, R for revelation, I for incarnation, S for sacrifice, and T for treasure. Do you want me to give you the MAS? You get it next Sunday on Christmas Day. As I said, you know, it's a gift, right? It's a gift. But what do you have to do when you are given a gift? Learn, learn this lesson. I'm, I'm repeating it from last week because most people don't get this. There's a gift that God is offering you. That gift is eternal life. That gift is complete forgiveness. You know, that gift is a relationship with God, and it's, it's free. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. All the religious gymnastics in the world will never give it to you. All you do is you receive it. But once you receive it, what do you have to do when you have received a gift? That's right. You have to open it. You look at that kid. I want to say this to you. That's my life daily. That's my life daily. Thank you for loving me providing here in the church so I can be a pastor and I spend a lot of time opening the gift each day but you have to open it and if if you're not opening it every day you know what look at people's faith right that's what the, the, the joyless Christian right the unhappy Christian but when you're opening it every day it's wonderful it becomes amazing And you can have that experience with God daily. So he's holding the gift out to you. Take it. And if you've taken it, start opening it every day. How do you open it every day? In the word, in prayer, in worship, in communion with him. Worshiping him, praising him, thanking him, laughing with him enjoying Him. You open it every day. And it's a wonderful blessing. Amen? Amen. So take it, if He's holding it out to you. And if you have taken it, start opening it. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank You, Lord God, for Your blessings and Your grace, for Your mercy, for this great treasure in Jesus Christ. The greatest gift ever given. The gift of all gifts. A gift, Lord God, that we will treasure and we will be opening for all eternity. I pray, Lord God, that, Father, if there's anybody here right now who needs to receive that gift, that you just do it. Take it right now from Jesus. Say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving me your salvation. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you, Lord God, for being raised from the dead and being alive right now. I take you into my life. And commit to the Lord to begin to open that gift every day. And be blessed by the Lord. Amen.